I don't know about you, but in life, it feels like that sometimes. It just feels like you're overmatched. Uh, there's no catching up. There is no way of competing. Uh, and, and you don't know what to do. Uh, you always feel like you're behind. And uh, again, just overmatched. And, and as I think about that, I just think about uh, where we've been and what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks in this series growing up. And uh, I, I know, I know, no matter your age, we talk about this often, uh, no matter your age, we're often looking at what's next. What's next? We're often thinking, if I can just get through today, if I can just get through this season, if I can just, if I can just get through this year, uh, then everything will go well. If I can just make it to that next mile marker, if I can get the job, if I can get the girl, if I can get the, the wedding that I want and the marriage and the kids, and reti- there's always this next spot. And we, we, we all feel that way. I know we do. Um, and so we're always looking to, to what is next. And uh, what I know is oftentimes in looking what's uh, next, uh, we, we don't like where we're at. We don't like what's going on currently. And so we think, I, I know this is just in a season and I know we'll get there eventually. Uh, I ran across some pictures this uh, week uh, with some uh, parents who posted uh, pictures of their kids throwing fits. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about before you have kids, you were saying, oh, not my kids. Uh, my kids won't throw fits. Uh, they'll do exactly what they're supposed to do. And then you have kids and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. But I saw these pictures and I thought they were, uh, they were funny. And so I, I'll show these and I'll tell you what, what they were tagged. So we'll start with the first one here. Uh, the dad said he took his shoes and socks off and now his feet are cold. Right? So it's uh, his decision, and now he's upset. And the next one, the, uh, this little boy's upset because there's no more cake. Because he ate all the cake, no more cake. That is a reason to be upset. Uh, here's a, another one. I just love that parents, as they're throwing fits, they decide to take pictures. Uh, he doesn't want to go. He just doesn't want to go. And the dad said, even though we've told him repeatedly, they're not going anywhere. But he does not want to, uh, to go. And then uh, here's the last one. I don't know if you can see that real well, but he's got a Darth Vader shirt on. They said he's scared of his Darth Vader t-shirt, which he picked out and insisted on wearing, right? Sometimes life is just difficult, and we don't like where we're currently at. And, and you know with little kids, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, it, it doesn't really stop. Uh, we, we, we throw our own temper tantrums in our own kind of, of ways. Uh, but things are difficult. Things are difficult in our lives. And as we've been looking at this series, that this guy named Paul is writing back to a group of Christians, there's some things in here that you may not have liked. There's some things in here that are difficult. Like when we say, um, don't complain about anything, like that can be difficult. And you, you've caught yourself complaining this week, I'm sure, and maybe even this morning. Some of the things that we've talked about of unity, of getting along with people who think differently than us, who look differently than us, who live differently than us, that... How do we do that? That can be difficult at times. There's a lot that we've looked at over the last few weeks, and as we've looked at it each week, maybe that one was difficult for you. And you thought, there's no way I can put that into practice. And you mess up. You mess up. You think, all right, I'm not going to complain, and you find yourself complaining, and you mess up. And, and here's what I know, that this is a process. Walking with Jesus is a process. right? Walking with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, is this process that we are all in the middle of. And so we mess up and we keep working on it and God's grace is there for us. So we're going to wrap up this series today. Uh, This has been a long series. We've taken an in-depth look into this letter to the Philippians and we're going to wrap it up today. Uh, But I want you to understand something as we wrap this up. Almost every week we've talked about the gospel. 
We've used that word, the gospel. And many of you maybe have heard that word. Maybe you think you know what it means. And, and I've tried to make it in a way where it was easily to, uh, understandable. And that's this idea that everyone is broken. We are all broken people. We have all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Every one of us. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care where you come from. We've, we've all made mistakes. We are all broken. And that's the bad news. And the gospel is often called good news. And the reason it's called good news is because in the midst of our brokenness, in the, in the midst of our mistakes, there's a God who's loved us. And he loved us so much that he sends Jesus to us. And so Jesus comes to, to make himself known. And, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. And he, he lives this perfect life. And then he goes to a cross and he pays the punishment for all of our mistakes. And so on Friday, we're going we're gonna to celebrate that. And we have several other churches who are going to come together and we're going to celebrate Good Friday together. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that. This is the start of what's called Passion Week. Today is Palm Sunday where Jesus rides in. I'll talk about that a little more in a moment. But Friday is Good Friday where we, we remember Jesus going to a cross and dying a horrible death. But on Sunday, if it just stopped at Friday, it, the, the story is kind of incomplete. There's an old uh, preacher who, who talks about Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And so we'll celebrate Easter on Sunday. And I do, I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll think about bringing someone with you, but, but the gospel doesn't just stop at, at Jesus dying for your sins. It's, he comes back to life, and he's alive today, and that is good news, and you can find forgiveness because of the gospel. But please hear me. This gospel that we talk about is not simply a gospel of forgiveness. Okay, so, so make sure and listen to me, okay? This, I want you to fully understand this. The gospel is not just simply about forgiveness. Like that is a huge part of it. That is super important. Hopefully at some point you've got to the realization where God has forgiven you. But, but if that was it, if that was it, well, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't care about anything else. We, we've been forgiven and we would just go on living, living life. But Paul writes back to this group in Philippians who have responded to the gospel, who understand forgiveness, Paul writes back to them for a reason because he says there's this idea that when you follow Jesus, your life begins to look different. And the reason that is is because Jesus comes to bring in a new kingdom. And we looked at that. If you were here at the beginning, we watched a video that, that Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday. And he comes in and they, they tear down these palm branches and they, they, they wave these, uh, these palm branches around and they throw their, their coats down. Uh, they do this as a sign of military victory. They've been waiting for a new king and they think Jesus is coming to establish a new kingdom and he's going to do it by power. He's going to do it by strength. And so they brought, they brought out the, the, the palm branches because they think there's this military victory that's going to take place. And they cry, cry out, Hosanna, this save us now. They were ready. They were ready for Jesus. But this is what's interesting is Jesus rides in on a donkey. He humbly rides in on a donkey because if it would have been in another way, if it would have been a military defeat, he would have rode in on a stallion. But he rides in on a donkey. And he begins in this last week of his life to really bring in this different kingdom. A kingdom that says to love your enemies. A kingdom that says we'll lay down our lives for one another. That we'll be generous with everything that we have. That this is the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And so it is not simply a kingdom of forgiveness. It is a kingdom that says I am recognizing that I have a new king. I have a new king. I'm no longer the king of my life. 
Because I, I hope you believe this and you know this, that, that there is a kingdom going on in your life. And many of us serve as our own king. So when we begin to say, I believe in this forgiveness and I believe in the gospel, what we're saying is we also believe in the gospel of a new kingdom. And so we say, I'm going to align myself behind this king. And whatever this king says, whatever he does, I'm going to do as well. I want to be like the king. And so Paul writes back to these people because he says, listen, you, you've believed the gospel and that's great, but, but now there's a way of living out what you've said you believe. Here's a way to live it out. And, and they weren't doing really well all the time. And so Paul's writing back to encourage them, but to also challenge them. And so I, I, I believe this. For many of you, at some point, you have prayed a prayer and you have believed in this forgiveness. But I don't think you've fully understood that you're a part of a new kingdom that you have a new king who is ruling and reigning in your life. A king that says, here's how you should live. And then in obedience, we follow the king in this kingdom. So for some of you, and I think some people believe this about the church, and some people believe this about Christianity, is it's basically I get my stamp, and I know that when I die, I go to heaven. And that's great, and that's, that's important, but you're invited to be a part of something much bigger and greater than that. A kingdom that not only rules and reigns after we're done with this life, but a kingdom that rules and reigns here and now. And you're invited to be a part of that. And so in this series, as we've looked at these things, Paul is giving instructions on what that looks like to live in this kingdom. To live in this kingdom. So, so we've been trying to put those things into practice. And so now, Paul is going to wrap this up. He's going to wrap this up. He's going to talk about something uh, that, that's something each one of us needs to deal with on our own. And then we're going to look at one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible, all of the Bible, and what I believe is often one of the misquoted scriptures of the Bible as well. What we've often believed that this scripture is what I think really wrong. And so we've got to get back to what was Paul actually saying, actually saying. So we're going to look at Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to look at it, to write in it, to make notes. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one around you. Uh, please take that. That's our gift um, to you. We'd love for you to have that. So I'll read and I'll stop and teach as we're reading through this. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Paul says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. Okay, so let's stop just for a second. So Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest. And, and, and so he's writing back to these Christians in, in Philippi. And he's been encouraging them. But at some point, they've sent him a care package. They've sent him something. And I remember when I was in college, uh, one of my favorite things to do was to go to my mailbox and there'd be this little piece of paper that says you have a box. And so you go to the, the window and they would bring you a box. And my box usually contained the college essentials, things like ramen noodles, microwavable mac and cheese, and the most important thing, cash. That was what I needed as a, a college student. And I remember having those care packages and, and getting me through the week, getting me through the month, and my family would often send those to me. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful. You, you, you knew where I was at. You knew what was going on. I'm so thankful that you've sent me something, that you've been generous with what you have. 
Because in my study, what I've learned is often people would die while they were in, uh, under arrest. They would die while they were under arrest. While they're in Roman jail, while, while, while they're dealing with their punishment, uh, the quantity of food, the quality of food wasn't there. And so people would often die. So Paul's saying, you, you knew what I was going through and you were so generous and you gave me what I needed to survive. But Paul then says, Look, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This is what I think Paul is trying to say. I appreciate what you did for me. But our relationship, my thankfulness for it, is more about our friendship than just the food that you've sent me. Our friendship is much more than just the money that you've sent me. He dearly loves these people. And I'm trying to point that out every week as Paul writes back to this group of believers Paul's heart breaks for these people. He truly cares for these people. And so he says, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. I'm so thankful for what you've given me. But I just want you to know that you didn't need to do it. That our friendship is enough. And our friendship is getting me through what is going on in my life. He has this true, authentic relationship. You may know people that kind of function in that way. You don't hear from them for a long time. And then uh, they need something. And so they contact you. They ask for something. We, we know those people. We have those people in our Lives And Paul is saying, I'm not being that kind of person. I truly am just thankful for you and our friendship and, and the love that you have shown me. But, but why is he saying this? Why is he saying that he's not in need? Let's keep going. He says this. For I have, lear- for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay, this is going to be another one of those. This is another one of those where we have to begin to look at our own lives, to look at our thoughts and our hearts and our desires, and we have to really ask ourselves, are we content? Are we content? I, I can only speak for the generation that I live in and the time that I live in, but it feels like right now that people lack contentment now more than ever. More than ever. There's always new. There's always next. There's always bigger. There's always faster. There's always better. There's always something more. So you might buy something and you get the best and then you know what happens. Six months later, you knew they've got some, you know they've got something even better. And so there's something that goes on in our hearts and our minds and our lives. We're like, oh, I was so good, but, but now there's something better. And so Paul is saying, look, I've learned. I've learned to be content. And what Paul is saying, what I think is so important for every one of us, especially as we wrap up this series, is Paul has learned that Christ is enough. Paul's learned Christ is enough. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone else. Christ is enough. Jesus is enough for Paul, no matter the circumstances or situation, whether hungry or well-fed, whether he has plenty or in want, Christ is enough. Now, as I think about this, I think about my own life. And it's hard, as we hear Paul talk about this, it's hard for many of us to fully understand what Paul is saying. I think it's really hard for some of us to really understand what Paul is saying. Look, I've been hungry before, but I don't think I've ever been really, really hungry. I know I've never been starving. Uh, If we're honest, my stomach is full more than it's empty. I eat because I'm bored. 
right? I, I, I honestly, there's not been many times where I'm, I'm hungry. One rule we have in our home is I don't let my kids say they're starving. I still let them say they're starving. If they ever come to me, I'm starving. No, 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 no. You ate this morning, right? You just, you just had a snack. You, you don't know what it means to, to starve. And so for some of us, it's kind of hard to understand what Paul is saying. Paul's content being hungry. Most of us will eat three meals today. And if you don't, if you don't, you've chosen not to eat three meals a day. You've chosen not to eat three meals a day. Maybe it's not a big meal, but you, most of you have food. And, and for some of you, money is tight. I understand that. Money is tight and things may be difficult. You may not know how you're going to pay your bills this, this month. Your work situation may not be going well. But most of us, most of us don't really understand poverty. Most of us. Some of you maybe at some point have lived in a car. You've had a couch surf. You haven't had a home that was your own. Maybe you have been homeless. And I'm not, I, I understand. I'm not discounting that. But, but the type of poverty that Paul is talking about is much greater than many of us have experienced. Like, I don't know if you've heard of, of specifically kids who live in dumps. Yeah. Guatemala City is one of these massive dump sites where, where kids stay there. They live there and they, they go looking for resources. And what happened is they went looking for resources and they've used resources and they've just built shelters there in the middle of the dump. Or, or in Cambodia, in Cambodia, these, these families who live at the dump and they will work all day all day to make about a dollar of our money, a dollar a day. They will work all day to be able to make a dollar a day, and they use this money to buy rice or food to support their family, of usually around seven or 10. And in an interview with one of the kids who lives at the dump, they said this about really wanting to go to school. If I go to school, nobody will fight, will find garbage to feed my family. If I go to school, nobody will find the garbage to feed my family. This is what Paul's talking about, okay? So we have to understand, it's hard sometimes in our context, what Paul is actually talking about. That's the kind of thing Paul's talking about. That's the kind of hunger. That is the kind of need that Paul is talking about. That was Paul's life. So many of us struggle with being content, but we, we aren't even on the same level as what Paul is talking about. And so, so Paul's need, Paul's uh, hunger is much greater than we understand. And so this is why I think it's super important. Uh, we, we often turn to people, we hear, hear people speak, and we want to learn from people for, for a couple different reasons. One, because of their intellect. People are extremely smart. They're, they're, they have a lot of knowledge about a certain thing. So like, we want to listen to them because they're an expert in that field. Or maybe it's because someone's charismatic. So we like listening to them, we enjoy hearing them, they're a good speaker, and so they're charismatic. But then there's those people that we want to hear from because of the lives that they've lived, from their experience. They speak out of experience. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just something they want to speak about to, to entertain people, but they're speaking out of their own experience. And this is Paul. So Paul's not just blowing smoke here. This is important to understand. It's understand that this is what Paul has experienced his whole life or most of his life. Well, look at that. Most of his life. He's experienced these highs and lows. So Paul can say that he's learned to be content because his life has not always gone well. All right. So when we started this weeks ago, we looked in Acts. And so we're going to jump back into Acts and I'm going to kind of summarize, summarize some things. So if you want to write some notes and go back and look into these things in depth, you can. 
But I want to take a snapshot of who Paul is. Because I think this is going to help us as we wrap up the series of understanding who Paul is. And so in Acts 7, we have this guy named Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Jesus. And, and Stephen is talking uh, about Jesus. And, and he's being persecuted. And they take Stephen out into the middle of the city. And they begin to stone Jesus. Now, when I say stone Jesus, they're killing, or stone Stephen, they are killing Stephen. They begin to stone Stephen. This means they're, they're trying to take Stephen's life. And then kind of in the sub, subtitle of kind of the story, they talk about this guy named Saul. Now, this was Paul before he begins to follow Jesus, and he went by the name of Saul. It says there's this young man named Saul where the people are laying their outer garments at the feet of Saul. Right? They, they got to they gotta be able to throw well, and so they're taking out their garments, and they know Saul was supportive of them, and so they lay everything at Saul's feet. This is a way that, that we know Saul's there, and he's witnessing what's going on, and that he was in support of it. In the beginning of Acts 8, it says Saul was there giving his approval, giving his approval to Stephen's death. Just get this picture of Stephen being stoned and these grown men throwing these huge rocks at them. And Saul, known as, also known as Paul, is just standing there giving his approval of what is happening. Because we know, if you've been here, that Paul was a good Jewish man. And he didn't like that someone was going against what he believed. And he thought people should be punished and persecuted for speaking about and following Jesus. And so Saul stands off to the side applauding the death of Stephen. Applauding the death of Stephen. And at this point, at that point, this great persecution breaks out and people who are followers of Jesus begin being persecuted. They begin losing their lives. They begin being arrested. And it says that Saul, Paul, goes out into the villages and he's pulling people out of their homes and putting them into prison. And then he hears that in Jerusalem that there's these Jews who are beginning to believe in Jesus. And so he, he goes there and he's on his way and he, he goes to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, on the road to annihilate the church, these followers of Jesus, God gets a hold of him. And in a flash of light, Saul, Paul, is blinded. He's blinded and he hears this voice from God. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, there's something that happens in this man's life. Now, just think about this. Think about this. Saul is going to, and he already has been participating in, killing Christians. I don't know how bad you think your life is. I don't know how many bad decisions you think you've made. But Saul has literally watched as people die simply because they believe in Jesus. He's helped it take place, and Paul is on his way. And God says, no longer. No more. He grabs a hold of him, and in that moment, his life is changed forever. And this is such good news. This is good news for me and this is good news for you that no matter where you've been or where you find yourself right now, you are not outside of the opportunity of God's grace. That your life in a moment today could look differently, that it could change. I was thinking about my own grandpa, my pawpaw, uh, who I dearly loved and, and meant so much to me. Uh, he was an alcoholic for most of his life. He was a womanizer and had been through divorce and it really just wasn't a great man at times. And I hear stories about when I was two and it was Easter Sunday and, and him coming home and, and passing out because of being drunk. 
So this was the life that my papa had lived, and, and, and I knew he loved me, and he was a great papa, and he took me fishing, and, but, but just he had had this past, and he wanted nothing to do with religion, absolutely nothing to do with religion, never been to church, didn't want anything to do with it. My papa was a farmer, and he had cattle, and he tells the story. He's out alone on the farm at 72 years old, 72 years old, and he hears this voice. He senses God for the first time in his whole life. And in that moment, by himself, on a farm, my papa gives his life to Jesus at 72. About the last 10 years of his life, he couldn't, he couldn't miss going to church. If the church doors were open, he was there, and he was telling everyone he knew about Jesus. In a moment, his life was changed at 72, and he had not lived a good life. He had broken relationships. He had hurt people. But in a moment, the love of God broke through every possible barrier, every possible barrier. And God says, look, I know who you are and I know what you've done. No more. No more. And so this is what's happening to Saul's heart and his life. And it can happen to you as well. If it hasn't happened already, it can happen to you that in a moment, your life can look different because of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And so in that moment, Saul, Paul becomes a new man. But here's what I want you to hear. His life does not go well after this, right? If you have ever believed, if I, if I just became a Christian, then everything's going to go perfect and my life's going to be great. I want you to know that that's not always true. We experience joy and we've seen Paul talk about that, that he's often rejoicing. He's in chains and he's in prison and, and we hear Paul saying that he's rejoicing and it's because of, of who Jesus is. It's not because of his circumstances or his situations, right? But Paul's life does not go well. And so I want to go through this just really, really quick. Uh, God uses Paul and he begins speaking to Jews uh, and they begin to, okay, maybe Jesus is really the Christ. Maybe he is the one uh, who we've been looking for. But for some reason, they want other people to know. So they conspire now to kill Paul. So Paul's killing Christians. He becomes a Christian. And now the other Jewish people are looking for Paul to kill him. He flees Damascus and he goes to Jerusalem where there's the disciples, the Christians, who are also afraid of Paul. So now Paul's been rejected by those people he used to be with, who he's trying to teach about Jesus. And now those who also follow the way, who are followers of Jesus, are afraid of him. So Paul, at the time where he should be full of happiness and he's got this new life, he has hit rock bottom and he's completely lonely and he's completely all by himself. He has nobody. Maybe this is your story. Maybe God rescued you out of something and in that moment, the, the group you were with didn't believe what you were doing and they wanted nothing to do with you. And then as you went out and you said, my life is different, people are like, oh yeah, right, I believe you. People begin to doubt that your life had really looked different. Maybe that was your story and that's what Paul is experiencing. He goes from highs to lows very quickly. He has nobody. But then he meets this guy named Barnabas and so things are beginning to go better and he meets Barnabas who befriends Paul and he supports him and Paul goes to Greece and he's preaching to Jews there and they want to murder him. Again, everyone is looking to kill him. Now, I don't know about your life. Uh, I've had some people I didn't like and I've had some people who didn't like me. Uh, there's been these rivalries growing up in sports. I've been ejected out of one basketball game because it's this kid named Mark and I remember him as a, 
he'll never watch this. So uh, his name was Mark. And I remember the only fight I ever got into was with this kid. And we had this rival. We didn't like each other. But, but there were people who hated Paul, who, who wanted to see Paul's life taken from him. It's going to continue. It doesn't get better. He has a disagreement with Barnabas. Uh, they, they split and go different ways. And again, he has nothing and no one. And then in Acts 16, we looked at the first week. That's when he meets Lydia. So he's going out and he thinks it's a place of worship. And he meets Lydia, who is a wealthy woman who dealt in purple cloth. She had everything she needed, everything she wanted. And he meets her and she believes the gospel. And her life has changed. If you if you were here week one, I'd encourage you to go back and look at who these people are that, that Paul's writing to. But, but this woman had everything. And this would have been a second home and it would have been a nice home and she'd have had good food. And so Paul goes back to her house. And at this point, he's, you know, he's probably sleeping on 800 count thread sheets and he's eating steak and he's living life to the fullest in this moment. So he knows what it's like to be well fed. He knows what it's like to have everything but he also knows what it's like to have nothing. Yeah. Really nothing. He knows what it's like to have both. It would be an understatement to say that Paul had a difficult life. Yeah. An understatement, just two more real quick as we look at Paul's life. In Acts 23, 12, it says this. These people trying to find Paul. It says, the next morning the Jews found, formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink anything Eat to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Let me read that again. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Forty men come together and say, "All right, we're not eating, we're not drinking anything until we've taken Paul's life." I've never been there. I don't know what that's like. Again, I've had people who didn't like me. I've had people who've been upset with me. Uh, maybe people who even at some point, I hope not, said, I wish they were dead. But these people aren't just wishing Paul's dead. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to kill him. Just summarize, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul summarizes his life. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, uh, he's writing back to a church in Corinth, and he's talking about his own life. And uh, it says this. It won't be on the screen, I believe. It says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Five times he takes this punishment where he gets beat in his back and 39 whips. That happened five times where his flesh would just be ripped away. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from the false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's had a tough life. After following Jesus. After following Jesus. And so let's go back. Let's go back to Philippians 4, understanding who Paul is and what Paul is writing about. Let's read that just one more time and to really hear what Paul is, is saying. Verse 11. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is hard. This is hard because we struggle with contentment even in our own lives and what we're dealing with. We're not even on the same spectrum. We're not even on the, the same graph as Paul. Yet it's something that we struggle with and we wrestle with. And so Paul is saying he's learned a new way. That he's learned a new way. And hopefully this is helpful to you. That Paul, in the moment where God rescues his heart and changed his life, there were still some things that Paul needed to work on. There were some things that he still needed to get a hold of. And so this is a learned thing. We can learn to be content. And so in those moments when we're not content, when we're not satisfied, there's an opportunity to, to, to go to God and find contentment. I can get the idea that Paul's journey was just that, a journey. It was this process that he was going through. And that over time, he grew up in his faith, that he matured. And so I think that's what we have to do as well. So when Paul had gone without food for a period of time, Paul learned that Christ was enough. When Paul had nothing to lay his head on, he learned Christ was enough. When he was thrown into prison or beaten almost to death, he learned that Christ was enough. When his old friends rejected him and his new ones were afraid of him, he learned that Christ was enough. Shipwrecked, unsure, he'd get out alive. Christ was enough. But it wasn't just when he hit rock bottom but also when life was abounding, when life was good. So this is, this is what I know for us. So let, let's talk. We'll, we'll understand this much better. Yeah. It's hard for us to even be content when we have enough. Yeah. It's hard for us to be content when things are abounding. See, I know, and you probably do too, material abundance doesn't always alleviate the anxiety in our lives. Right. Let me read that again. Material abundance doesn't alleviate the anxiety we have in our lives. One author said it like this, abundance simply shifts one's focus from getting things to keeping the things one has. And so we often struggle on the other side of being content even when we have much. Now this is what uh, is interesting. To be content means to be self-sustained that everything you need comes from within. That's what true contentment means, that there's nothing externally that can give me contentment. And so the people he was writing to, these Stoics, they would have believed this. They would have believed that you could become content, but the way you became content was by working hard, by denying your thing from, things from the external world. But Paul is going to say something much different. Paul's going to say it's not a self-sufficiency that's helped him learn to be content, that it is a Christ-sufficiency. It's not a self-sufficiency, but a Christ-sufficiency. And so Philippians 4.13, this is one of the most uh, often quoted and misquoted scriptures uh, there is. Let's read it. 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's on coffee cups, it's on t-shirts, it's on wristbands that you can wear. I just Googled this scripture and these are a couple things that came up. Here's the first one. And this was my life growing up in sports. You know, it shows the football player. I can do all things. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's said different ways. And it was this idea that no matter how good I was at sports, 
Right? It didn't matter how good I was at sports. If I believed, if I had enough faith, I know I could do anything. I could do anything. I wrote it in my baseball cap my junior and senior year because I didn't fully understand what Paul was saying. Now, this was the other one. I thought this was really funny. No. <laughs> no. I can do all things through Christ. I'm not doing that. I have faith and I believe in God, but I'm, I'm not doing that. And so we, we've taken the scripture and we've misquoted it. We've applied it in a way where it really benefits us. But this isn't what Paul is saying. The original translation, it would almost be better to say, I can do all of this. So everything we've just talked about, of being content, well-fed or hungry, having plenty or want, I can do all of that. I can do all of that because of Christ who strengthens me. I can do all of that because of Christ who strengthens me. So what we have to understand is this Christ-centered contentment. Christ-centered contentment. Uh, Greg's going to come up. He wrote uh, a song, and as he comes up, I want to wrap up where we're, where we're at. If we're going to have this Christ-centered contentment, what it really means is that we're going to trust in God. That we're going to trust in God, and we're going to not only trust in God, but we're going to trust in this good king. That we're going to align ourselves in a new kingdom, not our own king, but in the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, the kingdom that comes when Jesus is born and he establishes here, this kingdom that is different than anyone anticipated, a kingdom that says, love our enemies, a kingdom that says, sell everything and give to the poor, a different kind of kingdom that is established. And so as we've thought about this, have you aligned yourself up with this king? Some of you need to believe in the gospel. Some of you need to believe what, what Jesus has done for us. And that might be the first point, that you believe that you're broken and you need Jesus, but a lot of you maybe just stop there. And you've never really fully aligned yourself with the king. And you said, what the king says, what the king does, I'll do as well, because I'm no longer the king of my life. He is. He is. And so as we've worked through this, and we've talked about not complaining, and we've talked about unity, we've talked about believing in a way that matches what we behave, and how we behave matches what we believe, like those things should come in alignment. And this all comes when we fully are able to trust in God. That this contentment has an impact on everything else. And so as Greg uh, sings a song that he wrote, would you wrestle with that this morning? Would you wrestle with, it? have I believed? Do you believe the good news? Have you believed the gospel? And then secondly, have you aligned yourself up in the kingdom with this king? Maybe there's something you need to think about. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. Maybe there's something that's going on in your life that you would say, all right, this needs to come under the lordship of Jesus, that the king would come into this area of my life. Did you think about that? Did you pray with me? God, I've spoken a lot. I've said a lot of things over the last couple of weeks. I hope, Lord, that you've been speaking through me to us. God, would you help us to believe the good news of the gospel, that no matter who we are or where we've been or what we've experienced, no matter our age, no matter how bad we've been, that this grace is available to us. God, would you help us to understand that there's more to it than that? Would you help us to align ourselves with you in your kingdom? Would you speak with us today? Would we be listeners of what you are saying?